Hello and welcome back to All Things Urticaria, your You Care podcast. Today, me, Marcus, joining you from the You Care in Berlin. Today, I'm joined by Mark Riedel from San Diego, and I'm very happy to have him on board. He is an angioedema expert. Well, he's an expert for many things, but Mark, why don't you tell people who you are, where you are, and what you do? Thanks, Marcus. Uh, real pleasure to be here with you this, uh, today. Uh, so I'm uh, Dr. Mark Rydell. I'm a professor of medicine at the University of California in San Diego, California. Uh, and I do wear a few hats there. I, uh, I am the clinical director of our angioedema center at UCSD, but I'm also the clinical services chief for allergy immunology. And so uh, I see lots of other conditions. And uh, as we'll talk about today, uh, chronic urticaria is one of those. Um, so I uh, see a lot of it, very interested in it. And it, it is akin to uh, angioedema in many ways. So excited to uh, discuss a little bit about that. Super, Mark, happy to have you on board. And great, of course, to draw on your vast knowledge on all the different types of angioedema. And uh, it is quite heterogeneous. Now we keep uh, seeing and discovering new forms, new types, new subtypes of angioedema, quite exciting these days. Yeah, for, for sure. And, you know, it's interesting, um, you yourself also being an angioedema expert, when I get out and talk to people about angioedema, they're sometimes surprised to, uh, to learn that we see a lot of urticaria, a lot of chronic urticaria in people that come in primarily uh, concerned about angioedema. So, uh, you know, one factoid uh, I always like to mention is that uh, probably about half of people with urticaria also have angioedema as one of their symptoms. And so uh, this is something I know you're interested in and we're trying to figure out is, what types of angioedema um, are similar to chronic urticaria, either in the mechanism or in the treatment approach that we use? I don't know that we know the answer to that yet. No, I don't. I don't think we do. We need to do more research. But you know, one one interesting thing that I've only come across recently is that when when we say urticaria here in Europe, um, our U.S. colleagues uh, automatically think wheels. They, they describe the wheels, the rash, as urticaria, often not bringing on board angioedema as one of the key signs of uh, chronic urticaria. So I wonder if we need to align nomenclature a little bit or, or you know, um, I even argued recently that uh, you, we, we should not be calling the signs urticaria because urticaria is the name of the disease that comes with hives on the one uh, side and, and angioedema on the other side. And as you say, many, many people with urticaria have both. Um, is, is that how most U.S. physicians uh, see the word urticaria as describing the signs and symptoms rather than the disease? Or what's your take on that? Yeah, hard to say. I mean, I think there's it's kind of a mixed bag, right? So I think we do. Uh, I think uh, a lot of U.S. specialists do describe the symptoms as urticaria. You know that I see that that wheel on the skin. That's urticaria. Um, and and I have to admit, I just saw a patient last week where it's a little bit hard to. Um, to sort of tease that out, meaning that sh show me a picture of the skin and 
you get these giant wheels, giant urticarial lesions. Is that angioedema or is that a really big uh, wheel? And and so I think even in my own mind, I'm not exactly sure what the terminology to use is, but I, I agree with you. I think it would help us that we're all talking the same language. That's a really good point. You know, when you see a swollen lip or a swollen eyelid, you know this is angioedema. There's no question about it. But when you when you see pictures shared by patients with chronic spontaneous urticaria with these big, huge wheels, then where where's the border? When does a big wheel become a small angioedema and vice versa? <laughs> so that, that can become maybe maybe we need to work with the pictures provided by patients to really draw um, a better uh, definition or description from these pictures on the two, two signature signs, uh, wheels, hives, and angioedema. Look, I actually wanted to talk to you about people who have angioedema only. And yeah. yes, they can have mast cell mediated angioedema. Uh, and we think that this is a phenotype, one of, the, one of the ways the clinical manifestations of chronic spontaneous urticaria. But of course, there are also many other types of angioedema that vary vastly in not only pathogenesis and causes and drivers, but also in treatment and danger linked to these different types, hereditary angioedema, for example. So when you see patients, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure, like we do, um, you probably don't always know what type of angioedema is present in individuals' patients. I wonder if you had... Um, uh, or, or wanted to share your your approach, your clinical approach. What are the questions you ask, the things you look for, and maybe even the blood work you do to uh, come closer to the actual diagnosis and the type of angioedema your patients are dealing with? Yeah, so this is, as you said, a very common thing we deal with, and I'm sure at your center also, is that patient who has angioedema, who has swelling, no itching per se, no urticarial lesions or wheels, um, and we have to sort of drill down, what do we think is going on? So so I, I think that um, I ask a lot of questions, I call it the trajectory, Marcus, and so by that I mean how quickly do the symptoms accelerate? How, at what point do they hit their maximal severity? Um, and then also, what is the duration of those that, those swelling symptoms? And th this is not a, a, a black and white. There's some overlap. But in my experience, and a lot of the literature bears this out, the, the mast cell-mediated angioedema tends to move fairly quickly, right? It's sort of like uh, wheels. It, has, it comes on quickly. Within 30 to 60 minutes, people will tell you, I'm really in trouble. My lip is swollen or my face is swollen. Um, likewise, mast cell-mediated angioedema tends to, to go away faster, too. Now, it, it could take a couple of days if it's really severe, but a lot of patients will tell you, yeah, less than 24 hours, that episode is over. Might come again the next day or the day after. So, so that sort of trajectory, I think, is a good clue. Of course, if they have itching or they have wheels with the angioedema, that sort of points you in, in the direction of mast cell-mediated angioedema. Um, in my experience, bradykinin-mediated angioedema or some of these less common non-mast cell uh, uh, mechanisms tend to move slower. They, they tend to take hours to, to really get people into trouble. There's often sort of a prodromal symptom or warning that this is happening, uh, the patients will describe. Although, as you know, that's not really been studied very carefully for mast cell-mediated angioedema. So I think there's some assumptions there. 
but but it but the kinin mediated or non mast cell mediated tends to have a slower trajectory and it takes often a few days for that to run its course so so these are things we focus on with patients and then the the other thing which i, I don't know if it's obvious but we always ask about what treatment have you used what treatment have you tried and i think patients are very good historians they'll say yeah i did x y and z and didn't help at all or i did x y and z and yeah i was better in a few hours and, and so I think response to therapy, because by the time we see them most often, this this isn't their first rodeo, right? They, they've been through this a few times. So I don't know if that if you have other other uh, strategies you use, but that's kind of my thought process. No, that's very, very close to what we do. Um, I mean, of course, we ask about the family history and, you know, the the the, the basics. Right. But um, often I see patients like you who say, well, I tried seven different antihistamines, none of them worked. And then physicians, because I think we're doing a pretty good job um, at raising awareness of the bradykinin mediated types of angioedema, suspect that this may be hereditary angioedema or bradykinin mediated. And then they look for C1 as they should, C1 inhibitor function and, and levels and everything is normal. And then rather than going back to, well, maybe it could be muscle mediated, but just not responsive to an antihistamine, they suspect what we used to call type three, hereditary angioedema or hereditary angioedema with normal C1 inhibitor. And so we've seen a couple of patients, and this is new, this, this, this didn't happen five years ago, see a couple of patients who are moved to HAE treatments, which then do not work, rather than let's say omalizumab, which uh, is used in, uh, urticaria patients with or without angioedema who do not respond to antihistamine. Uh, and they do respond. Uh, in my experience, standalone angioedema that is mast cell mediated responds exquisitely well to omalizumab. I'm going to say nine out of 10 cases. Uh, is that what, how do we, how do we change that? Or how do we make it easier for patients to get the right treatment first um, uh, or, or sooner? Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I would agree that uh, there there's been sort of an evolution in our thinking and, and our experience and and sort of if we back up for a second, mast cell mediated conditions, chronic urticaria, mast cell mediated angioedema are much more common, right? They they just simply are if you look at the numbers and so. We've sort of moved our thinking a little bit. We still ask all these questions. We still pay careful attention to the history. But if we're not certain, the, the chances that this is a mast cell mediated angioedema condition, even if there's no urticaria, remain high. It's still more likely that that's the mechanism than uh, forms of HAE and so forth. So, so we also have, yes, we try high dose antihistamines. Yes, we acutely treat with corticosteroids very early to try to get a, a, a measurement of effect. But we also are reaching for omalizumab much, much more often and have the same experience that, that frequently this works um, uh, to prevent the angioedema episodes. Um, now, that's not to say, as you said, we should think of HAE, we should test for HAE with isolated angioedema, um, but these HAE, HAE with normal C1 inhibitor is a very rare condition. And so I think we have to be careful about jumping onto that bandwagon too early without really going through the steps of treating aggressively for mast cell mediated conditions. And that increasingly includes omalizumab, as you mentioned. Absolutely. Mark, what I, what I recently wondered is, um, is there a difference 
let's let's stay with chronic spontaneous urticaria and mast cell mediated angioedema. Is there a difference between the angioedema developed by patients who exclusively have angioedema versus angioedema in patients who also have wheels? I, I mean, one one would maybe assume that it's very similar, but I'm not sure that this is so. Um, the standalone angioedema responds so well to omalizumab, and I do have patients where angioedema comes with hives and I need to updose the omalizumab or shorten the interval or do both to finally give control to that patient. I wonder what your experience is. Yeah, this, this is something I'm also very interested in. And, and, and fair warning, I'm going to throw this back to you because I know that your group has done a lot of work on the autoimmune pathophysiology or, or a slightly different mechanism, autoallergic. And I know you're, you're the expert at sort of defining those. But but I, I, I so the, the short answer is I, I used to think that uh, isolated angioedema due to mast cells and um, that that we see with chronic urticaria were basically the same. Um, and I have to admit in clinical practice, I treat them much the same. But I think we're learning that from a mechanistic standpoint, they're probably not the same. Um, and that some of the markers, the autoantibodies against you know, mast cell receptors and so forth, don't show up as commonly in isolated angioedema as they might in chronic urticaria with angioedema. So um, I, I, I don't know the answer. I think we have, to, we have to do more research, but I suspect there are some real differences between these conditions, even though we like to kind of, I like to lump them together. That's probably not exactly right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we, I, I mean, we, we, we need to figure it out and we need to do it as a global community of urticariologists or angioedemologists. Uh, and uh, uh, you're right, no, angioedema is a pointer to autoimmune CSU in patients who develop it, whereas, well, in the standalone angioedema patients, uh, it's not so common, if found at all. So that's one difference. And I'm sure there are others when we were to look a little bit closer at duration, maybe even manifestation or other uh, clinical features linked to this uh, these two different groups of angioedema. We might find something interesting. Um, and, and, okay. and the last thing, sorry if I can interrupt sure. real quick, Marcus, sure. but the other thing that I'll just point out is we have very few clinical studies in people with isolated mast cell-mediated angioedema, right? We, yeah. But most of what we know about mast cell-mediated angioedema comes from the big chronic urticaria trials, which we just said these may not be exactly the same thing. So so to your point about collaboration and and, and working together as centers, you know, that, that's not the most common condition, mast cell-mediated angioedema without wheels, but that's something we probably should be looking at as we study the best treatment approach. Absolutely. And I, I'm all for figuring this out early when new treatments come into development or are being made drugs for chronic spontaneous urticaria. That's sort of a neglected phenotype, if you want. Yeah. No? What do we really know about standalone angioedema? We exclude them in uh, all chronic spontaneous urticaria studies. You have to have wheels to uh, go into the clinical trial. And that, of course, does... Uh, uh, not allow patients with standalone angioedema to experience uh, or benefit uh, that new treatment. So, yeah, I'm 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 with you there. It's uh, it's under researched, and we need to put a focus on it as a as a community. 
Mark, um, I want to switch gear just a little bit and talk about angioedema care and urticaria care in the U.S., which to me is sort of different than the rest of the world, if I if I can say. Um, uh, you guys have uh, allergists and dermatologists, and they, they sort of have a different approach to angioedema and urticaria. But what strikes me um, as the one of the biggest differences is that uh, centers like yours are huge, very well known, um, and, and and very helpful. Big angioedema and urticaria center. Um, there's not that many of them, right? We see. Right. Um, uh, large parts of the U.S. where uh, such centers do not exist. I wonder if you had an explanation on this and maybe also what could be done uh, to change that. Yeah, we. Uh, so I will say up front, we are often envious of the organization of healthcare systems in, uh, in Europe and other parts of the world. And I say that because you all have done a wonderful job of sort of centralizing care for patients that suffer from, from specific conditions. And of course, we're talking about angioedema and urticaria. The, the challenge in the U.S. has been um, that our healthcare system is very fragmented. Um, that's true for um, health systems in different regions. It's true for health insurance, how medical care is paid for with both private and governmental plans. Um, but yeah, as you said, we probably have, and I'm ballparking here, 10, 15 centers that do a really good job of this across the country. Um, and that's not a lot for our geography uh, of the country. So our real challenge is um, getting patients that suffer from angioedema or uh, chronic urticaria, getting them to these specialists that uh, that really do a lot of it and are experts and are sort of up on the latest uh, treatment and, and, and uh, research. Um, and that's uh, not easy to do because um, a lot of patients end up in their local community. They're seeing their primary doctor or their specialist over and over again and and sometimes they're frustrated that they're you know not not getting better but yet can't get that referral or can't um, logistically get to a large center that may be able to offer other treatment options um, so it's something we're working on I mean part of it is getting the word out that we have these centers and and we're happy to see patients and and please send us your patients if you would like our input. Um, but there are obstacles in terms of how healthcare is paid for and and the logistics of getting people to the centers. Telehealth has helped with that some. Um, so we're able to expand our reach a little bit to patients that physically may not be able to get to centers. Um, but yes, this is an issue. And, and, and listen, we learn a lot from your center, from other centers across the world that have have built an infrastructure to sort of bring people in. So thank you for that. You've set a good example. We just have to figure out how, how to make that happen in our healthcare system. <laughs> too, too kind, Mark. Uh, do call on us with, uh, in, in any which way you think we'll, we can we can help with that. Look, our time is almost up. It's unbelievable. It's been a great fun. Thank you for all your insights. I'm not not going to let you go without asking you one question that I often ask towards the end of uh, my time. Um, in these episodes, and that is, look, I know you you do a lot for this community. You educate, you uh, um, uh, help build the next generation of angiodemologists. You you treat patients, you do research, uh, all these things that you do. Now imagine um, I came to you with a million dollars. A million dollars doesn't buy you anything these days, right? Uh, if you wanted to do research, let's make it. 
five million dollars and you have to spend it on one thing in angioedema and or urticaria care what would it be mark Ooh, that's a good question um well short of short of a cure which i'm sure everybody says and is probably not realistic with five million dollars what what i what would really help my patients and us in practice would be to have accurate biomarkers and by that i mean predictive tests that would say here's the condition that we that you have fairly precisely and would allow us to use so-called precision medicine right here's the problem here's the medication that we know from the outset will will control your condition um, and ideally you know we'd be able to tell them that it's safe also all, all medicines have side effects but I think that's what we struggle with, particularly in the angioedema space, but also for, for chronic urticaria is how do we pick the right treatment plan right out of the box instead of uh, all the trial and error that I think most of us go through. And, it, and it's frustrating to patients and they suffer longer than they need to and, and that sort of thing. So I don't know if five million will get you there, but it'd be a good start in terms of, uh, <laughs> in terms of us being able to, to do better tests for people. Absolutely. No, that would be great to have and a true benefit for patients. So let's see where we get the five millions, but more importantly, let's see where we get those biomarkers. And I think that we as a as a global community can do a lot to improve the prediction um, of treatment responses based on biomarkers of underlying conditions. Mark, thank you so much. It was great fun to have you. People, that's all the time we have today. With me was Mark Riddell from San Diego sharing his Wisdom and knowledge on angioedema and urticaria. Uh, and if you out there would like to learn more about angioedema, urticaria, mast cells, please do let us know. And um, if you have specific topics or future guests for me to invite, please do let me know. Go visit the UCARE website, go visit our educational programs, You Care Level Up, or if you are a patient, You Care For You, and tune back in to one of our future episodes of All Things Urticaria. Mark, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, Mark. It's a real pleasure, as always. Hope to see you soon. Dear all, stay healthy, and we'll hear each other soon. Take care. Bye-bye.